Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Nap Time is Sacred podcast where we share stories of Muslim women doing amazing work. I'm your host Fusia Abdullahi. Assalamu alaikum everyone. On today's episode, I have with me Ustada Fatima Light. She's a graduate from Kennesaw State University with a BA in Psychology. She's currently an Alamia student at Qalam Seminary here in Dallas. She's born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And Fatima has been involved with the community, organizing and executing a plethora of programs in her hometown. Currently, Fatima serves as a teacher's assistant, as well as a student coordinator for Qalam Institute. She also serves as the youth director at East Plano Islamic Center and she hopes to combine her Alamia studies with her studies in psychology. So without further ado, here's today's episode with Ustada Fatima Light. Hey guys, assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Nap Time is Sacred podcast. We are going to keep rolling with these Ramadan episodes. This one is going to be with Sister Fatima, who's also a part of Qalam Institute. You're about to graduate as well, Fatima. Welcome to the show. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for having me. Okay. Yes, inshallah. 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 We're saying lots inshallah. Lots of du'as, please. Yeah, <laughs> lots of du'as, but these these ladies are going to get it. Don't worry. So inshallah, we hope that the remainder of your time and your exams, inshallah, go well. So Fatima, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. So I was born and raised there. I moved to Dallas about five years ago to pursue Islamic studies. I got my bachelor's in psychology. I actually also pursued the second half of my bachelor's during my column studies. So our schedules were pretty much the same of like craziness. Alhamdulillah. Not to um, mention like two psych students who are studying together and yeah. living together. So like this... She does most of the psychoanalyzing. <laughs> I just let her do it, you know? This sounds like we could write a book, you guys. I'm sure it'll be a good book. Inshallah. I'm sure it'll be a good book. But yeah, Inshallah. so alhamdulillah. So, so Fatima, yeah. So, Fatima, tell us a little bit about how your Ramadan is going so far. This Ramadan has been really good. Alhamdulillah. I was nervous because it's like allergy season and mm-hmm. I have really bad allergies. Yeah. And they haven't been so great, but they haven't ruined my Ramadan. No, inshallah, um, they and will. the weather has been beautiful and it's just so much blessing. Yeah, no, inshallah, they won't ruin your Ramadan and we'll be able to like trip on through this pollen, <laughs> which is almost not as bad as at- Atlanta pollen. Yeah. Like Atlanta pollen, you can see like the evidence of it I th- we lived there like a long time ago and like we woke up one morning and we came out of the house and like everything was covered in pollen like it was snow but it was actually yes. pollen it's so bad it turns the car like green yeah and we we're just yeah. like what is going on here it was like an alien like coming in the middle <laughs> of the night <laughs> the whole neighborhood is green <laughs> yeah but alhamdulillah things have been really good this from done just more productive man it's been more productive i think that's like something that we discount like we're so worried when we're getting into ramadan like how am i gonna make this the best ramadan ever what can i do now to prepare myself but when ramadan starts i think that there's you know ease that comes with it and baraka it's a month of blessings if you guys listened or followed me on instagram i did uh podcast collaboration with the rogue muslim podcast and one of the questions that she asked everyone was like a collaboration of a group of people that she's going to follow through ramadan and we do check-ins and she asks us like you know what the first stage of ramadan the middle and then the end and one of the questions she had was what was some unexpected ease that you've gotten this ramadan and i'd like to give you that question and ask you know what's been an unexpected ease that you found this ramadan being able to still focus on my schoolwork because I was so worried like will I get my Quran done will I get all my prayers in like at the 
kind of goals that I wanted to accomplish for myself when I get on my car, you know, talking to family because we're not from Dallas. So like keeping in touch with family and everything. And then on top of that, like schoolwork and invites and so much. And all of that is still happening, but it doesn't feel as overwhelming as I'm saying it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was worried that it will be a little overwhelming, especially because this is our last month of school as well. So making sure that we leave, inshallah, this program doing the best that we can. I was like, man, it's going to be Ramadan. Hopefully I can like focus and not want to sleep all day. I still want to sleep all day, but <laughs> alhamdulillah, getting work done has actually been much better than before Ramadan. Amazing. May Allah continue to make it easy for you and the rest of your studies and exams and graduation inshallah so Fatima I want to talk a little bit about you know the last 10 nights of Ramadan right the benefits of these 10 nights are supposed to last us for like years to come Mm -hmm. right if we grasp like the importance of it and you know work our hardest during this last 10 months so tell us a little bit about the last 10 nights what's recommended for us to do and how we can amplify those acts So the last 10 nights of Ramadan there is really interesting because Ramadan in and of itself is like a blessed month. So it's a beautiful, blessed month. Everybody has like this big energy when it comes and you're ready, you prepare the house and like everything. And kind of when you get into the middle of it, you get into a routine. So there's still some excitement, but it's not as much. So I like to, and this may not be the best comparison, but I like to compare the last 10 nights of Ramadan to like this really good piece of cake that you have and you don't want it to like end, Mm -hmm. but you want to enjoy every bite of it. That's how the last 10 nights are. It's better than that, actually, in the sense that when these last 10 nights come, there's so much blessing that's amplified in it, but also you're realizing that it's because you're holding on to those last little bits of Ramadan that are going to leave you until the next year, inshallah. So something that I read that was really interesting was a hadith from Aisha, radiallahu anha. She said that when the last 10 nights of Ramadan came, that the Prophet, sallam, he would pray more in the night, and he would also wake up his family. And what was really nice about this is that sometimes we kind of get overwhelmed with how much ibadah like we should try to do. So you're like, I want to do a thousand more adhkar or or dhikr and remembrance. Mm -hmm. I want to pray a thousand more, you know, salah and do this. And you don't end up doing anything because you feel so overwhelmed or you have like 10 billion things you want to make dua for. And then when you sit to make dua, you can't remember not one of them. You just remember all the things that you're supposed to do. Like, that you have to do. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she brings these two, they seem like, oh, like you expect like a long hadith and then he used to do this and he used to do that. And there are many other things like giving more charity and all these things. But he used to pray more in the night and he used to wake up his family. I think that's important to note because at the end of the day, when you make Ramadan and you make these last 10 nights a family endeavor, then it becomes easier for you to do it as a family. And it also gives the family an ability to come closer to each other. And then all of you are getting closer to Allah together. So making it that, okay, you know, at least every odd night, at least every odd night, we'll get up in the middle of the night and we will pray as a family. Even if you have small kids and those kids end up sleeping on a prayer mat, they will remember that when they get older. Yeah. 
that I fell asleep on a prayer mat in the last 10 nights, you know? You know, my mom used to wake me up. My dad used to wake me yeah. up. And like, so they have that habit, even when it's not an obligation on them to wake up at that time. And I know a sister, mashallah, she has like the most amazing family and she does, they do this throughout the year. You know, she'll wake up her kids really before awesome. Fajr and they'll pray to Hajjah together as a family. Like the whole family does not matter if you are like a little baby, everyone wakes up, you know, she's got the baby in her arms, the other kids, but they're there and they're experiencing it. And now they're like, mashallah, may Allah reward her and all her efforts. And for them, like, you know, now that they're a little bit older, but like they have that habit. It's set in stone, Absolutely. you know, and that can't be discounted how much effort, especially for the moms who are listening that, you know, it pays off, inshallah, all the acts of worship that these kids do later on, all of the ads that they've learned, everything is, you know, a blessing for you as well. And, you know, it help, really helps solidify the family unit. So Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. Absolutely. And I think also things like giving charity, mm -hmm. you know, doing it for yourself where no one else knows that you're doing it, but then yeah. also doing it as a family as well. Yeah. You know, even if you have like a charity box within the house, if it's just, if you don't have any kids, it's just you and your husband, or even yeah. if it's just you, you have a roommate or something, then giving charity, you know, yeah, throw in that Starbucks box. latte exactly. money. Like, you know what I mean, you're not drinking it. Exactly. By the time it's time to break fast, it's closed. You're, so. you're closed. So you might yeah. as well do it and, you know, have and it. And so just double up on your reward that's the point of the last 10 nights of ramadan is that you everything that you do you just put more effort and that is measured by what you feel like is more effort yeah. you know for somebody they can pray all night but for you maybe you can only dedicate 20 minutes and if that's the case then you do your best because Allah subhanahu will reward you in that that's one thing the second thing that i wanted to mention was that there's a very blessed night in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, and that's the night of Laylatul Qadr, which is the night which the Quran was revealed. And there's so, there's hundreds of hadith that talk about the virtues of that night, like one who prays in the night and they are seeking the reward of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives that person of their previous sins. Just, and that this night is better than 1,000 months, and that's like in the Quran. So there are so many different blessings that come with that night. But Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked the Prophet mm -hmm. she says that if I feel like the night of Laylatul Lay Qadr is here, and I know that this is the night of Laylatul Qadr, what do I do? And he says that you say, Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni. Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni. The meaning is that, oh Allah, you're the most forgiving. You love to forgive, so forgive me. And it's so beautiful because the word afu means to completely erase something without a trace. Meaning that like, it's as if whatever you did or whatever sin you've committed never existed in the first place. So essentially like you're asking Allah subhanahu wa for a do-over. And that night is giving you a do-over. It's like you can just wake up and say, okay, I'm going to start again. I'm going to try again. And that's kind of what's beautiful about Islam is that we have so many different opportunities to try again. Yeah. You know, it's never too late. It's never too late to be a better person. So, yeah, so that's basically yeah it's amazing that the ah like encompasses like everything that you can think about right and every misdeed every sin is relative to the person who's doing Absolutely. it you know so to be able to make that dua and regardless of it if it was a sin that you committed 10 15 20 years ago something that you did a couple of days ago big or small that it's a clean slate mm -hmm. right and so for you guys who are fasting 
this is like number one dua, I feel like, just because there is the hadith about it. And the Prophet Muhammad said this is like the one thing that you can do, like, inshallah, you're rewarded for it. So make that intention that, you know, I'm going to make this dua write it you know i like to keep sometimes little cards of these duas because especially when it's the middle of the night and you're tired you might not be able to remember them so like have a dua list and i think this is something that uh sheikh muhammad al-sharif is also big on is having like your duas like your must ask for duas then that's relative to every person for some people it might be six it might be ten it might be mm -hmm. fifteen top duas but they've been saying those duas for all of ramadan so it's not just like the last ten nights you're gonna be like Hey, right. you know, <laughs> now I'm going to make dua. But it's something, it's like a habit that you've set, exactly. right? And they become a habit in your head to make dua for those things. So inshallah, that can never be discounted. I think you wanted to say something else about this. Yeah, I just feel like the beginning, the first 20 days of Ramadan, mm -hmm. you know, that prepares you for your big bang of the last 10 nights. So, you know, starting your duas now and then your ibadah now and everything. When you get to the last 10 nights, then it's easier to add an extra step. It's not so so much so you're like just jumping into the deep end. You kind of just like ease your way there. So yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And I hope you guys like, you know, get going and get active and you're doing not just a dua, but I think Fatima is going to share some other acts of ibadah that are amplified during Ramadan. So I'd love to touch base on some of those things and Absolutely. how we can benefit. Another thing is also Quran. Because the night of Layla Tukha, there's a night which the Quran was revealed and, you know, the month of Ramadan the whole time. But just making sure that you try your best to develop a relationship with the Quran. So for some people, maybe a quantity and amount is what's better. Like mm -hmm. for them, they say, okay, I can read 20 pages. I can read 10. I can read 15. I can read five pages. And I'll make sure that that's what I'm able to read. Some people don't have that. They have more of a time commitment. So I can read for an hour. I can read for 30 minutes. I can read for 25 minutes here, 25 minutes there, but making it a priority. And when something becomes a priority and it becomes kind of planned out, you're sure to get it done. As opposed to saying that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, then it kind of doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's another thing. The Second thing that I wanted to mention was that, you know, feeding people in the month of Ramadan. A lot of times we get into a seclusion. You know, you're like, okay, it's Ramadan. I want to do all my ibadah that I can. And you should. You yeah. should definitely do that. You should definitely spend time, you know, with just you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and making your du'as and praying your prayer and reading your Quran. But also having that good company and feeding people. You get tremendous reward for that. Even if it's just a date. Even if it's just being invited to someone's house, going over there and just bringing them a simple like, you know, cake or something very simple. But feeding them, that's where you get your little blessings. You know, those little blessings that you feel like are very small, they are amplified. And then the last thing that I would say is that making sure that your tongue is like constantly repeating the praises and the, the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa because that too in your, your time of like, you know, you're commuting to work, you're taking, you know, your kids or you're even off from work, you know, just repeating the praises of Allah subhanahu wa that also helps, especially in those last 10 nights to give you a lot of barakah. Yeah. And I think there were two, two phrases that are light on the tongue, but heavy on the weight. On the, or scale. on the scale, yeah. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Yeah. And then I think there's two phrases that we say together. Fatima mentioned that are important to kind of like keep our tongues wet with and that they're easy to say and they're like light words to say, but heavy on our scale on the day of judgment. So tell us 
Those words are subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanallahi lazim. So subhanallah, like how perfect, how glorified is Allah, wa bihamdihi and his praises, subhanallahi lazim, and how perfect, how glorified is Allah, and how great he is in his greatness. Honestly, you guys, if you're using, like, whether it's your fingers, it's sticker beads, mm-hmm. it's that handy dandy, I subhanallah app, like, yeah. you know, you can't, the, clicker. the little clicker, <laughs> like, whatever it is, like, you'd be amazed how much of these phrases you can say in three minutes or less like you know what i'm saying like depending on what else you're doing or if you have like clarity of mind at that time but just to sit there and be able to do that is amazing and especially for people who are not fasting or for women who can't pray or you know someone in the hospital who can't get up and do salahs like they wish or fasting like these are things that you can do at any time regardless of disability mm-hmm. or you know or not so those are really amazing did you have a couple more that you wanted to share with us or i think being kind to people a lot of times we take that for granted mm-hmm. too you know the prophet Sallam, he was never someone who was harmful or or rude or disrespectful to anyone but you don't know how far that goes and you don't know who's making dua for you in the middle of their mm-hmm. night So there are times where, you know, you may not be in the best mood, especially with Ramadan and like, you know, people are going through caffeine withdrawals and like all kinds of kids are crazy, you know, everything is like kind of, you know, amplified, (laughs) your emotions are high and just simply... When you go to the masjid and you see someone who's there, you know, making space for them, you know, that's part of our tradition to make space for people in the masjid or even like, you know, I see a lot of moms, they try to come to the masjid and they have very small children and sometimes they don't get a chance to get their ibadah, you know? So if you have a little bit of free time and you may be sitting on the side reading Quran and like Tarawih is going on, just help the mom out, hold their baby while they get to pray a little bit. And that goes a long way too. You So when you treat people better it does so much for you as well as a person and and that's the point of Ramadan is yeah. to transform you as a human into being into a better person yeah. and something that, and you know have those habits that you can take out Absolutely. throughout the year right and I'm so glad that you mentioned like you know small acts of kindness they don't always have to be these like grandose like crazy things that you're doing but just being nice and mm-hmm. I think being sincere about th- being nice you know about it because people can tell when you're yeah. just like, oh, I check this off my right. list, check this off my right. list, but doing it for the sake of Allah and knowing that this is the way that our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu lived was being kind. He was never a harsh person. Whether you were a child or an old person, he treated you with respect and you know whatever ease that he could bring into your life, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he would do that. So I think to for us to take that as an example, like we would do the way that we would how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi prayed or how he fasted Mm -hmm. or other acts of ibadah but to also to take inshallah his character as a human being and as a believer into account too is really important especially during the month of ramadan i had one last thing i think the one thing that you kind of brush over a lot is making sure that you do some Mm self-reflection and you make dua for yourself You know, a lot of times we have long lists, like we have parents, we have, you know, siblings, cousins, kids, all these things. So we make dua, you know, like keep my family safe, keep my kids safe, Mm -hmm. this and that. And then you forget to make dua for yourself. Spending time alone, you with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then also making dua for yourself and having a little bit of a list, like you mentioned before, of like five to seven, if someone has more things that you want to make dua for and make dua for those things. It's important, and I'm so 
glad that you mentioned that we do forget ourselves, right? There's so many things, but to make dua that I think I was reading or I was listening to Sheikh Omar Suleiman's talk a couple of days ago, you know, his prayers of the pious series that he has on YouTube and his book just came out as well. If you guys want to check that out was, you know, like the way that we're making dua, like all of the duas that he shared were amazing, but it was also, he shared one that was just use your own words right? It doesn't have to be like, you know, you don't have to go research the best Quranic dua or the, like, you know, find the most amazing hadith that you can like, you know, take that as a dua on the parts of the good that are in it, but to use your words, talk to Allah, have that connection and be able to make duas that are relevant to your life. Everyone knows their condition. Everyone knows what they need. And remembering that, yes, you want to make dua for your kids, you want to make du'a for kids if you want kids or a spouse or the health of your family or the prosperity of your parents or whatever it is. But don't forget that we all go back to Allah by ourselves. So it's really important that, like Fatima said, that you take that time to make those specific du'as for you, not only for your worldly good, but for the hereafter, that everything that we've done, any sacrifices Absolutely. that you made that... Inshallah, Allah rewards you for those in the hereafter sure, as well. Sure, absolutely. So Fatima, tell us a little bit about, you know, being a student of knowledge, right? Being a woman of color in today's society. And, you know, we don't see a lot of female scholars that look like you and I, especially here in North America. And I mean, they're there, but they're not there out in the, like, you know, the, the conferences and the masajids giving the classes. So tell us a little bit about your experience being part of Qalam and how Sheikh you know, mashallah, Sheikh Abdul Nasser is like amazing when it comes to this and giving everyone a platform and that support from Qalam. So how has that been like for you? It's been really good, honestly. So basically, when I was thinking about coming to Qalam, a big part of me making my decision, and I can't really say it was my decision. I feel like it was a lost decision because it wasn't necessarily in the plan, but yeah. then it just kind of worked out. Yeah. But a big part of me coming was, okay, you know, having a place that you feel comfortable because learning is one thing, but growing is another thing. And I'm just not the type of person that can grow in an environment that I don't feel like respected or mm -hmm. I don't feel like, you know, has my best interests at heart or even knows how to deal with, you know, me and whatever I come in with mm -hmm. in terms of my personality, my background and everything and saying, okay, this is how you should grow accordingly or you know, that just that mentorship. So, you know, the first time that I actually met Shagam Nasser was in Atlanta. He did tafsir. I don't really know what sort it was because I did not go to the class. Yeah. I just kind of met up with him <laughs> after the class. And we were sitting down, we were talking. He told me about Gullum. And at the time, I wasn't thinking about going. I actually had no idea what Gullum was. I kind of knew who Shagam Nasser was, but not really knew who he was. And I only knew because my cousin was like very fond of him. And so I was like, yeah, I like this shake he's gonna come talk to me I don't really know what to say to him you know so we met he told me about Gullum and then he was saying that you know Gullum is like a program that we are doing you know of higher Islamic studies and we want certain types of people that we feel like can really benefit from this and do community work and all these things because at the time I was working in the community a mm -hmm. whole lot and I was like oh this sounds really interesting but you know because sometimes there's like 
you just get uncomfortable when you don't know what's there. You know, I know how my community is in Atlanta. I know how to navigate through communities. I know if someone's going to treat me a certain way because of the color of my skin or because the fact that I'm a woman, then like I can just ignore that person or like move into a certain, you know, area. You can move in different circles. Right. But like moving to a whole nother state and like everything and not really knowing what is there. It was just like not kind of what I was thinking of at that time. But the way that he was very respectful to me as a woman, that is what sold me. And it was just more so that like he was interested in what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, Meaning like, I'm not just like trying to force you to come to my program, but you have these qualities and these things that you're working on. And this is where you see your future at. So this is how I can help you get there in that sense. The second thing was that, you know, he has two daughters. So he would talk to me about his daughters at that time. And he was saying that, you know, I, he knew a certain point in his life that he wouldn't be able to talk to his daughters about certain things that there will have to be like outside people to come to talk to them and stuff like that. And how his drive is for the sake of Allah, but also, you know, in the preservation of his family. And I thought that that was really important because a lot of times we see scholars or other people or like celebrities and all these people who they like have a great online presence, but have a horrible presence in their home. So that was the second thing that really sold me. And the third thing was that like accepting my personality and everything that Fatima came with. So it was like, you know, I'm different on the daily. Like I have sometimes I'm loud, sometimes I'm quiet, sometimes I don't want to talk, sometimes I want to talk all the time mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. But accepting all of that and just making Fatima better. Yeah. And so when it no longer became about like, like it was never a question of like, oh, she's black, you know, or she's like Gambian or whatever the case may be. It was never a question of like, oh, okay, like where are you from? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, what is your family history? What is this? What is that? It was never like condescending. It was never like, oh, the token black girl. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, she's a person who's interested in this and she can do that. So when I came to Cullum, I got that same respect to be completely honest with you. And now fast forwarding five years later, And being in this kind of like industry, I would say, in the sense that now I have jobs. I have a job in Atlanta. I also worked at a masjid here. And even when I did experience things that could have been racist or I would have said that it was racist or mm-hmm. I felt like people would treat me a certain way. Shagum Nasa always stood up for me. Like he, there was never a time that I told him that I felt this way about this that happened in the community where he didn't say like, that's a racist thing that happened. And like, if it happens or if you want me to, I'm go talk to them or like whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Yeah. And alhamdulillah, like I'm very vocal. So I kind of handle myself, but it's <laughs> nice to know that this person who you've taken as a mentor has your back no matter what and so and I think that's that's important for anyone that you're taking your religion from knowing that they see you not just as a student but as a human being right as someone who you know I guess that they can support outside of school and in school and like you said like being working in the community like I don't even know how you and Atifar you guys are like mashallah like may Allah continue to put barakah in your time how much time you guys have to do all of these different activities but that you're able to have that respect in the community regardless of gender or race is really amazing and a big shout out to 
Alam Institute and everyone who works hard to make that happen, including you two. So tell us a little bit about, I know I asked Atifa in the last episode, some tips and advice that you have for anyone who, or sisters in general, and most of the audience are women who are thinking of becoming students of knowledge or who have that educational background, but kind of are not sure how to put their foot forward into doing public talks or starting up their own programs. I think one for people who are thinking about becoming students of knowledge, I'll just emphasize what Atifa said, like make a lot of dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy and he opens the doors, but also put in the effort, you know, so you, you put that foot forward. Do not just apply to a program, Look at the program, look at the curriculum, look at what you can benefit from yeah. and what you're going to get out of it because yeah. it's, it's a commitment. And don't just commit because it seems like the thing to do. It mm-hmm. seems like hip. No. Yeah. Okay. The day to day is not hip. <laughs> it's not. Um, <laughs> know so, yourself. Yes. The day to day is not hip. It's good. It's great, but it's not hip. So look at different programs that you really, really think you can benefit from and then make a lot of dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow for him to facilitate it and you know put your foot forward start applying and things of that nature and honestly it just falls into place your life may be chill or which honestly it's probably not like <laughs> and it may be very hectic but know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always there with you throughout the journey so that's for that in terms of people who have some educational background and things of that nature I think that a big thing is that sometimes we kind of want to box everybody into you know you have to go out and teach or you have to like stay at home and teach mm-hmm. I feel like it's the person's prerogative if you are more comfortable with teaching inside of your home then you're more com- comfortable with teaching inside of your home yeah. and maybe you know you do want some students you do want to be able to like you know one review the things that you've learned but also teach it then invite people to your home find the ideal time for people in the community invite them to your home have a class once a week or if that's even overwhelming start with once a month I've seen that that really works with like the women in like who are older who work in full time and stuff like that have a whole like family and everything once a month is like a commitment that they're able to mm-hmm. take and it's like oh okay this is like me time kind yeah. of so invite people over to your house once a month and teach them and things of that nature yeah. if you're comfortable with teaching outside of your home I would say that a lot of times you know we see how different shiuk are teaching and like these huge masajid and like all these things so we kind of like want to like that's what you think is the ideal teaching but it starts in the humble home like you know you were saying that you call Shagum Nasser Imam Nasser because he was an imam Mm -hmm. and that's what it was in a humble home he was an imam and that's how his classes and things of that nature grew but even his cedar podcast like there's like 10 people that come to that and there's thousands of people who listen to it online yeah so sometimes just reaching out to your local local masjid and even if it's a small little humble home then you can really do a lot of good there and it's also a very good place to get your feet wet yes for sure and i think we can't discount you know asking your community what they need absolutely and providing that like you said whether it's in your home taking students and we can't discount again the internet you know having classes online using skype or zoom or doing like a monthly newsletter anything Mm -hmm. like that every benefit anything i mean writing for websites or anything like that is really amazing so to just put one foot in front of the other make dua that you know allah accepts it from you and do your best with the time and the energy and the knowledge that you have and it's the best that we can ask of anybody i want to ask you this question you've been part of column for five years, you're teaching, you're 
you know, you travel, you do all these kind of things. What is the one thing that keeps you going? How and like kind of solidifies it the decision that you made such a long time ago to be a part of this program, to become a student of knowledge, to you know make our community better and teach. What keeps you going? How, what has been like the most helpful to you? That's a very hard question. <laughs> wow, you said a curveball. That was a curveball for sure. Um, well, take take your time. There's multiple things that definitely keep me going. One is that when you say, okay, I'm going to do something for the sake of Allah, mm-hmm. and you go into that thing, there's like all kinds of strange obstacles that come in your way. Like all kinds of, not necessarily, I wouldn't call them problems because I feel like you grow from them, but there's obstacles. There are hurdles you have to jump over and things of that nature. And giving up all is the easy way out. Meaning like when you give up, you'll be fine because you're not, like no one is banking on you for this, you know? I think a big thing kept me going and continuously keeps me going is the people in my life. Meaning that these people know that, okay, this is Fatima. You've talked about wanting to be or wanting to accomplish these things in your life. And we see that these things like studying and like, you know, teaching and stuff like that, they make you a better person in essence, like of who you are. It's not even about who you're teaching or, you know, what you're studying It's making you a better person. And these obstacles are just a sense of like purification. And you can tell yourself that all you want, but when you hear from someone who loves you and you love that person, Mm -hmm. it's just a little bit easier to swallow. And then on your days when you don't want to get up or you just don't feel like doing it, you have these people in your life who push you, whether they're my friends back in Atlanta or Atva who does a lot of pushing (laughs) or even Shagum Nasser, you know, or in our other instructors when they see us like, okay, wow, these people look like they need like a pick me up. They really need like... Like we pushed them too hard (laughs) this week. They really need a pick me up. So just that's... And then family as well. So that's the first thing. So I would say the very positive and encouraging people in my life. The second thing that I would say, to be completely honest with you, is that there's so much work to be done. There's so much work to be done. And alhamdulillah, like I've worked in many communities and done many different classes and stuff like that. And then, you know, at the time you kind of feel accomplished, you're like, okay, like I'm getting work done. And you look at the bigger picture and you're like, okay, this is not just the me thing. It's, it's, an effort on all of our parts and you play your part in whatever capacity you can. And just knowing that I have a part in that and I have a part in, you know, the work to be done in the community and being able to, you know, help, especially like I work with a lot of kids and stuff like that. And I'm, alhamdulillah, like I love it. I enjoy it and I'm fairly good at it. And so knowing that like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me a gift and that this gift is actually an amana and I have to really take care of it. And I have to do my best and put my best foot forward. It keeps me going because then, like you know, sometimes like I don't, I don't want to like teach or something. And one of my kids would text me. Not my. I don't have biological children. I have to like clarify <laughs> that all students. the time. <laughs> one of my students would text me, and like it just means so much because then it's like okay, like we're making progress. Yeah. We're getting somewhere, you know. Yeah. So that's the second thing is that knowing that there's so much work to be done and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me a gift and be able to do that work. And then the third thing I would say is that watching like my mom, my dad, and my teachers in the sense that they all play community work in a certain way. Like my mom, she's like the type of person who growing up, she cooked iftar for the masjid every day. Mm-hmm. 
there was never a time where like she like was like oh let's just have leftovers for tomorrow and like take it no she cooked fresh food she was she was ready every single day (laughs) every day you know my dad like right now he's sees me building a mustard in Atlanta and like all this stuff so they sacrificed a lot for me to be here and then seeing how much they continuously sacrifice to try to just have something in the bank for their akhira. And then our teachers, like, they travel a lot to be able to teach classes to people. They do a lot to help sustain the seminary itself. And sometimes they even have to sacrifice their family time. And they're very family-oriented people. If they were family-oriented, I'm like, that's not a sacrifice for you. You just (laughs) want to get away from your family. But they're extremely family-oriented people. And they have to sacrifice time from their families to make sure that they're, like, you know, that this message just keeps going. They realize that all of this is much bigger than just themselves and so when you see how much sacrifice the people around you is making then you tell yourself I can get out of bed today that I can just keep going yeah for sure I'm so glad that you're able to share this with us mashallah I hope it's a huge benefit to anyone who's listened to today's episode Fatima thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure to have you For more information, you guys, as always, check out the show notes. Full transcription, full show notes will be on the website. And all the links to Qalam and Fatima and everything like that will be there as well. Jazakallah khair for listening. Fatima, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Assalamualaikum. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nap Time is Sacred podcast. Don't forget to subscribe in iTunes. And while you're at it, please leave a rate and review so we can get this podcast out to more people. To connect, you guys can find me on social media under the handle at NaptimeIsSacred. That's going to be on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, for more of my work and these episodes, check out NaptimeIsSacred.com. Until next time, stay positive and work towards the life that you want.